0: Hi, welcome to Public Health Nutrition from Foodies in the Field, a podcast showcasing stories from passionate foodies about who they are and what they do. I'm Sophie Wright-Petterson, your podcast host, and on today's show, we have Stephanie Godrich, who is a senior lecturer at Edith Cowan University in Western Australia. In today's episode, Steph talks about the Southwest Food Community Project, which is all about coordinating work in the food security space as a way to address this complex and wicked problem. Steph also gives an insight into her 16 years of experience working as a public health nutritionist in WA, including her time at both Nutrition Australia and Foodbank WA. She particularly outlines how she's managed to work closely with a variety of stakeholders to achieve long-term nutrition programs and solutions. Steph's ambition is contagious, her creativity inspirational, and her perseverance aspirational, as you'll come to find through listening to this episode. Hi, Steph, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Sophie. You graduated with a Bachelor of Health Science in Nutrition in 2006, and then you've done a few more degrees since then, and then completed a PhD in Public Health in 2017 after you'd converted from the Masters in Public Health, and then in that time and since then you've had some really interesting community-based and research-oriented roles including at Food Bank and at Nutrition Australia. I just wanted to get you to describe in your own words how that pathway has evolved to where you've ended up now as a senior lecturer at Edith Cohen University.
1: Yeah it's been a, a really interesting journey actually over the last 16 years and it's funny because it actually started when I'd just finished year 12 and I was holidaying in Bali and I met a nutritionist and the, her job just sounded so fantastic and, and really interesting and diverse and so I actually changed my uni preferences to study nutrition and I just loved it. The more I got into it and and understood a lot more around behaviour change and and the wider environmental factors and influences. So, yeah, the the years that I went on studying, just I got more and more passionate about, about the field. And when I graduated... I knew that there weren't that many jobs out there for for a new graduate, but I'd been volunteering for Nutrition Australia, which is a not-for-profit organisation, and an admin assistant job came up. And it wasn't exactly what I was looking for and why I'd studied my degree, but I knew that it could be a really great stepping stone into other work that was more closely related to what I wanted to do. I ended up over the years, uh, becoming the Executive Officer of the WA Division of Nutrition Australia. So that was a really fantastic role where I was able to design and coordinate nutrition education and cooking programs. I ran a corporate nutrition program, managed lots of volunteers and and lots of other really fantastic experiences in the not-for-profit sector. And then I moved into research where I got a job. It was really a desktop research position, and it was looking at how components of food could reduce someone's risk of developing various chronic diseases. So it was desktop research, though. So I didn't really get to get out there and talk to people and work with them and and conduct fieldwork research. So my next job that I was able to secure, which was actually a bit of a throw or jump in the deep end, it was a fieldwork job and it was coordinating a statewide research project. It was uh, the Child and Adolescent Physical Activity and Nutrition Survey or CAPAN study. So I, my work was to coordinate a large number of schools across the state That were participating in diet and physical activity measures. So I went out to schools and interviewed kids, looking at food diaries, managed teams doing. Food diary data entry and coding. We had physical activity measures, and I also supported an expert advisory group that we had. So it was a really fantastic learning curve, managing lots of different teams and lots of different parts of a study that were happening at different points. So different schools were involved in different aspects of the project. And so it was a, a real minefield to coordinate, but a fantastic learning experience all the same. And then I was able to do some more research work uh, in a weight loss intervention research project. So that was a really interesting one underpinned by the stages of change model. So I could understand and see how we could link theories of health behaviour to research And then I've done some work in evaluation consultancy as well, so I was able to do some work with other universities and independently for government and non-government organisations. But I really love the not-for-profit sector and working on the ground in nutrition and cooking education. So I was lucky enough to get a job at Food Bank WA, so they were recruiting for a new position and it was creating a regional strategy, it was called. So it was expanding their metropolitan-based food literacy programs out to regional and remote WA. And I did know how big the state was, somewhat. (laughs) I I hadn't spent a lot of time across our 2.5 million square kilometres, so I was able to do that. It was interesting because... I didn't have a blueprint for this job. I, I really had to start from scratch, really. And, and so I spent a lot of time consulting with people in the regions because I thought, OK, these are the people that know their region, their towns, their communities. They know what works. Community members need to be you know, providing input about what they want and need. And so I did a lot of consulting work. I, I went out to regions, travel with lots of organisations like the Royal Flying Doctor Service and Aboriginal medical services. I was really trying to focus on relationships and listening to people about what they wanted. And so what we did was we worked with schools. I ran nutrition education cooking sessions in schools. I worked with parents. I ran teacher training. I did community work and and training work with with people out there so that they could continue delivering our nutrition education cooking programs after we'd left because it was essentially a fly-in fly-out model. And we know that that's Not a great approach, but it was the best that we could do at the time. So what I did was I I looked at developing a partnership model with the government uh, dietitians and health promotion officers out there, and so we could develop cooking and nutrition education kits that were ready to go but could also be contextualised locally. And so we had these custodians of all these kits and we ran training with them and and they had input into what the, the sessions looked like. And then this model was able to be scaled up across the state where there were lots of sessions that were continued after our visits. And I'm so pleased that that model is, I believe, still operating now and it has worked really well over 10 years, more than 10 years now, but it was just about trying to build capacity because we had such a small team and we couldn't ever do what we really wanted to do in terms of the extent of the effectiveness that it could become. And so this partnership way of delivery could build capacity and could make things more effective and be contextualised locally by the people who knew their communities.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Because Food Bank's different all over Australia. Like Food Bank WA has got their food literacy program. Yes, I haven't looked at all of the food banks across Australia, but theirs seems to be one of the most maybe well-resourced or like ongoing food literacy programs across Australia. Did you have input into those programs or they were already established when you came on board?
1: Well, I started there in 2010 and so there was the school breakfast program which was already operating and then there was some nutrition education cooking program work that was happening in metropolitan Perth and so but we needed to develop resources and lessons and, and an approach that would work in regional and remote Australia. So we needed to really contextualize for the issues that people in rural and remote communities were facing so we had to build resources and build an approach that was reflective of that and that's why we developed the the suite of resources and programs that were tailored for those areas
0: where did you go after food bank
1: when i was working in remote communities i really saw firsthand how hard it was for people to get access to really healthy affordable, good quality food. And it was just shocking to see that so many people I worked with really wanted to find this food and source this food for their families, but they just, they, they couldn't, there were so many structural barriers for them to do that. And I just really felt for them because I could see how, how much they wanted to and valued healthy food. And so that really ignited my passion for food security. And that's really what took me down that pathway. and. I didn't know what I could really do to support it, but I thought we do need more research evidence around food security in rural and remote Western Australia. So I had started a master's by research, which then as a lot of things I do become a bit bigger than they probably need to. (laughs) And And so I converted to a PhD and so then I, I conducted my PhD around the determinants of food security for children and linking that to diet quality as well. So I wanted to focus on the issue and see what I could do to provide some more evidence and how we could translate that into action to help people living in rural and remote areas. And while I was doing my PhD, my husband and I moved to a regional WA and I was lucky to get a scholarship to finish my PhD for the last two years. So I could do that from a regional area, which was fantastic. And then when I finished my PhD, I was offered a job through Edith Cowan University where I was offered a lecturing and research position. And that was in 2017 when I finished my PhD. But I was commuting to Perth, which was about four hours away. And I was living in Perth in the, in the, during the week and lecturing and doing research and then coming home into regional WA on the weekends. So it's really not sustainable, that, that level of commuting. So I, I helped set Set up the bachelor degree that I was lecturing in at our southwest campus which is a bit closer to my home. So since 2018 I've been leading the course down here the bachelor of health science and trying to build our regional research programs in the southwest around food security, local food and local food systems. So, yeah, all in all, it's been a bit of a mixed bag of, uh, of what I've done over the, the 16 years, but I've learnt so much and, and have absolutely loved my community-based work and, and also love research and love learning. So it's all been really complementary of trying to understand this research area better, and then how we can sort of translate that to inform practice on the ground.
0: Yeah, there's so much that you've done. It's inspirational, it's aspirational, and it just sounds so interesting. For today's show, we're going to be focusing mainly on the food community project that you've been working on now for a number of years. How long have you been working on this project?
1: Well, it started in 2018, really. Where did the idea of this project come from, and what are the
0: key objectives of the project?
1: After I had completed my PhD in food security in rural and remote WA, I knew that I really wanted to keep learning in that area and, and, and understanding more about the issue. And I'd also had the privilege of working with lots of different government and non-government organisations across WA. So I was really well aware that there were lots of different food-related initiatives, but not a great deal of overall coordination so when i looked across say local government websites and other websites i saw that there was a really ad hoc documentation or of who was doing what where who was working with whom so we really didn't know comprehensively what was going on across the state and we all talk about silos and in which we work and trying to break those down but we know that there's lots more collaboration and coordination that needs to happen to ensure that we are all working towards the same goal we're, we're trying to minimize duplication of services and investment and and making sure that what we're doing is as effective as it can be for communities which we're trying to work with alongside and, and support their health so through my online searching of different methodologies to support that that idea I came across the organisation Wicked Lab, and I saw that they had an approach that was around a system of initiatives and really trying to shift how they work collectively to address a really complex or wicked problem and it looked really fantastic and I knew that there was theory behind that approach. The theory seemed great but from what I could see, that theory hadn't actually been applied in practice in Australia. And so the organization offered a six month training course about their methodology, but I didn't have any money to do the course. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I need to do this course to understand more about it, to see if it's a viable option for what I want to do. So I found a competition that I could enter through my university and it was a one minute to pitch it competition And so I thought, okay, I have to get, I have to win so I can get this money, so I can do this course. And so what I did was my mother-in-law actually helped me sew a really huge embroidered sheet. It was my research basically translated in icons, like a big game or an infographic on a bed sheet. And so I was, I used that as a prop because we weren't allowed any slides, any PowerPoint slides for this competition. So I put this big bed sheet on the ground and I was used as like stepping stones to explain my research, like a pathway towards food security. And I actually came runner up in the competition. Um, I I was able to put that money towards the course.
0: That's amazing.
1: (laughs) And and I sought and and was able to get a scholarship for the rest of the, the course. So I, was, I made it happen. I was able to, to do this course and and after completing that course, I then needed funding to implement a pilot project to apply the course in practice. So I was able to get only about $9,000 really to run a pilot study and I had no idea how much it would cost to, to run the project and I didn't know how long it would take to do it. So, again, it's a bit ambitious <laughs> and it ended <laughs> up taking a number of years and a lot of in-kind time, but we were able to implement what's called the Southwest food community. So, it's underpinned by the Wicked Lab methodology around a system of interventions. What we were aiming to do was try to identify all the different food initiatives in the southwest region that were working on addressing food availability, food access or food utilisation. So three key pillars of food security. So it was trying to identify who they were working with and then we evaluated aspects of their work against these 36 characteristics for system change.
0: Underlining all of that work, you've mentioned to me before that there's six stages that you followed for the Food Community Project. What were they? We've got the
1: stage one is form. And so we formed a, a core team where we worked together to to look at the Southwest region as our geographical boundary. And we did some media to start engagement and share what we were hoping to achieve with the project. And then the next stage is explore. So we held a a forum or a project launch where we talked about what we were hoping to do. We got insights from the attendees that were government and community groups about what we were hoping to do and created a, a logo together or got feedback on a logo. And then we started doing interviews with initiative leaders to collect information about the work that they were doing relating to the determinants of food security and also evaluated their work against these 36 system change characteristics. So that was associated with trying to transition to a more effective way to address complex problems And the third stage was when we mapped. So stage three is map. And and what we did there was we entered the information that we collected from the interviews into this online mapping tool. And that showed us this big what's called a transition card, but it's essentially a big matrix that shows where all the different food projects are contributing to system change. So which system change characteristics do they possess in their work? And then we also created a a digital case study book with exemplars that we had collected as well so that they could be available for people to see what was happening where. The the next stage was learn. So stage four is learn. And that's where we really look at that map of different initiatives and see, okay, so where are the areas that they've got lots of system change characteristics embedded in their work? And where are the areas that maybe they need some support to strengthen? So we could really unpack that in the next stage, which was address and that's where we, we held an action planning workshop where we invited and brought back together the people that had been involved in the interviews to try to work on these action plans together to try to address these windows of opportunity or, or areas where they could potentially strengthen their work. And we use that form also as a way to discuss the need for some new food initiatives. So once we had this scoping and we knew generally what was happening where and who they were working with, we could then identify. OK, so where are the gaps? Like what else is needed here in the region in terms of different food initiatives to progress? And then stage six is where we share the information throughout that system of initiatives so we can feed back the findings and then also translate that into a web platform, which we had developed the the food community platform to do that. So it's an area where they can all interact together and and learn more about food security and its determinants, look at case studies and and a range of other uh, opportunities to interact with food security. And so it was a real deep dive investigation into their work. And then we could essentially see this system of initiatives and and how they were working to address this problem. This was a, a Southwest pilot study. So we mapped 52 different initiatives and really the concept behind it is that wicked problems, they're made up of so many different determinants or drivers. So if you think about food security, there's a plethora of different determinants of food security. We know that government and community sectors can't address this on their own. They can't solve this really complex web of causes on their own. So it has to be a collaborative and a place-based approach to really drive that system change. So those initiatives were government and community-based initiatives they might have been food related policies they could have been social enterprises food markets food literacy and with those characteristics of a systems level what are those characteristics there's a a lot of them but just uh, as an example those 36 characteristics are uh, organized into these nine different focus areas and really the first kind of five or six focus areas are relating to community-based organisations and then the rest sort of focus areas six to nine are really about the connection between community organisations and government and so an example is like the first focus area is about shaking up the current way of working and an example characteristic within that focus area would be Does this particular food initiative create a passion for community action to address food security or, you know, really to drive some determinants of food security? So it's about pinpointing different actions that this initiative is doing to contribute to the overall food security action.
0: When you mapped all of those programs and initiatives, were there any particular focus groups that were really strong and were there any that, you know, there were a lot of gaps within
1: Yes. So the first one that I which was the one I just gave the example of shaking up the current way of working and creating that passion for community action that was addressed or possessed by lots of different food initiatives. So they did that really well. And then the ones that probably needed some more support were around how organisations worked effectively together and whether they had, say, change champions or role models or even common language and branding that helped create this sense of identity and knowing where they were trying to go and what they were trying to address. But then the biggest area that really needed some more support to strengthen was that connection between government and community. So the, the later focus areas were around the government utilising community innovations or community knowledge and really using that in their policies or help to develop policies. And so those were the particular areas that needed strengthening, that, that support and connection between government and community. But uh, then the next roadblock was that I I needed to actually evaluate this process. So we'd done this mapping, we we found who was doing what, who they were working with, and then we worked on these action plans. But where to from there? Well, we needed to actually find out if anyone did go away and put into practice these, these actions from their plans so if i wanted funding to scale up this approach i needed to be able to show that this was working or, or what we were observing was happening and so i was able to find an honors student and she evaluated the process so she followed up a sample of the initiative owners six months later and asked them what aspects of their action plans they had put into place she also asked them what the what the project helped them to understand you know what impact it had on their work what are some barriers what are some enablers to changing their work as well so this was really helpful for us to understand the process and understand what then would not maybe need to be changed if we were to do this again.
0: Did people change their practice and were there any key barriers or enablers to doing that?
1: Yes. So we observed that there were 25 changes to system change characteristics. She interviewed a sample of 15 initiative owners and, and that was six months after the action planning work. And I should say, it is really hard to attribute change to one intervention or one process. And so we need to be careful and and not say, oh, because of this project, all these people did all these different things because that's really difficult to do. But we did observe these different changes that had happened over that course of the the six months. And so some examples really of, of what might've changed in initiatives was someone, a staff or volunteer from one of the initiatives, they created a new community network that was addressing food availability and food access. Someone else brought local organisations together to reduce duplication among food security programs. A participant organised local committee meetings with different industry leaders and local governments and that aimed to address food insecurity in their area and really helped to get it on the agenda of, of their local government. And we found that also several different community organisations worked closely with their local governments and that really highlighted the need to address food security in in their policies. And so one participant in particular advocated to their local government to get some strategies into their public health plan, which progressed through to implementation. And just things like someone encouraged their elected members to try to use community ideas through different committee meetings or other ways in which they could communicate with them. And that led to the local government sharing information about that particular food initiative. So it was really helpful to really get that communication happening between the community and government, which were the key areas where we found needed some more strengthening and support.
0: Everyone person I speak to talks about the need for collaboration within this space, within the food security space particularly, because it is that wicked problem, that systemic problem. Pretty much everyone recognises we need multiple people to come to the table to resolve or to address this issue and this is kind of spanning across all of those things and I guess assessing you know where those windows of opportunity lie and how and I guess giving people tangible solutions or ideas because it's quite pinpointed thinking about the sustainability of this project or if someone were to think about doing it within maybe their state or territory What kind of things do you think definitely need to be there to address things at a systems level or to do this type of process?
1: I think that people understanding their role as if they're working in an individual initiative, they're they're doing great work, but thinking about they're a piece of the puzzle and they're a part of the bigger system or the bigger system of, of projects trying to contribute to helping to address this issue And that's something that people within our project said that it really helped them to do to understand food security, but also their bigger, the bigger picture, their role in the bigger picture. And so I think that's really important, but also trying to focus on a a geographical area. So it's a contained investigation into what's happening where And trying to get government and community on board to participate and and be part of that journey is really important to make sure that both sides are are adequately represented and and part of the solution. So that's really important to, to facilitate and facilitate the networking within it too, because that's something that our participants fed back was really valuable and the networking opportunities really to understand who was doing what, how to how to work with them. Even just the bringing people together, we found was fantastic to help, say, the community groups know the different roles within local government and, and what they could do to communicate better with them and, and vice versa. It was really fascinating to hear the discussions that were happening between the different people working on the project. When you were in
0: those workshops, did you have people from government come along to those workshops?
1: Yes. Those people from the government, did they have to be running a food-related program? Or- so we had our participants that were part of the, the mapping work and the action planning. We had both local government and community-based organisations that were part of that and so they came along to the action planning workshop as participants and then we had some other government representatives there who wanted to learn about the process and and be part of some other discussions that were happening as part of that workshop. We had involved them from the beginning, really, because before we did all the mapping, we had a, a project launch event where We use that as a way to work with and talk with local community, local government and a variety of different stakeholders that could potentially be involved because we wanted to talk to them about what we were proposing to do, but seek their input as to whether it would work. And we worked together on a logo for the project. We had a bit of a visioning process to see what people wanted food-secure southwest region to look like and, and what might need to happen to get there. So we had done all this work and engagement work before we launched into the, the interviews and the mapping, and so then they were part of that journey essentially. They they did help us as well with with wording because a challenge we found was trying to communicate about this complex process in a way that was easy to understand and, and come on board with. But I had some, some really good advice from different people around wording and how we could communicate things a bit differently. And so we took that on board. And something that also was part of the, the process was that people who were involved said that they wanted a, a place like a, an online platform or, or mechanism to collaborate together but also learn more about food security because they said that the process or the project helped them understand more about it but they still wanted some more professional development or an understanding of of case studies out there of what people are doing. So we sought and received funding to develop a purpose-built website which is called Food Community. So it's www.foodcommunity.com.au and we had a lot of input from people in the interviews as well around what they wanted to see on the website, what they liked and didn't like about other similar websites, and so we wanted to have a point of difference. And really what they said was they wanted to see research translated into documents like infographics and webinars, and we worked with the Public Health Advocacy Institute to develop or to tailor an advocacy training course, which also helped address those focus areas which were needing to be strengthened, so the ones that were connecting community with government. So that advocacy training course really helped them to craft their messaging and to get their, their project uh, on the agenda of, of people in local government. And we also had a bit of a map of initiatives. So people can add their own initiative to this Connect section of our website where it's a pin drop uh, across regions of WA and then they've got different food initiatives there. There's a groups function and we've got written and also video case studies and lots of more different components too. So this is the mechanism that really connects people within the project but it can be used more widely by people who weren't part of it as well to learn more about food security and the determinants of food security because that's really how this project is shapes around the determinants of food security and lots of information around who's doing what so people can understand and see these great exemplars that's going on
0: definitely and I would encourage anyone who's interested in food security and learning more about it as well as about this project to go to that website because it is such a an incredible hub of information and resources in the one spot that sometimes is quite difficult to find, particularly for food security. With the website, do you
1: you still have to register as a, a member? Is that how it still works? Yes, we do recommend people register. You can access some of the content without registering, but we do encourage people to register, which is free, to access the full content. And the really the purpose of that is so that we can evaluate the website periodically to see if it's still meeting the needs of people that are are registered and we've just we've done one evaluation that was really helpful for us to be able to shape what's more is added to the website going forward what's coming up next with the project so we have some really big exciting news actually and after all the the different work along the years, we've just been successful in receiving funding to scale up the Southwest Food Community Pilot to the rest of the state. So, yeah, yeah. So that means every other WA region will have their own food community. So it's really huge. And I'm so excited that we'll be able to once again work across the state and with so many different communities within the WA regions does that
0: mean that there'll be a different website for each um, region of WA or it'll all go up into that website and all of those different regions will be able to interact on
1: that one platform? So that one platform, the food community platform will be the the support mechanism for all the different regions, but we're building tabs for each region within that one platform. So you're going to have the overall food security professional development and training and webinars and then you'll have an additional area for each region so people can go into their respective region they'll be able to see their their map of all of the different food initiatives and then we're going to filter case studies for each region within those regional tabs as well that's phenomenal and that's because like um you said it a few times but when we're addressing complex systems, you've talked about having that place-based approach. Yes, exactly. So that place-based approach is really important because we know that the same projects and initiatives aren't happening across every single region. It's all going to look really differently. There's going to be a different mix of initiatives, different mix of types of projects happening. And so you need to be able to address a problem within that local context to to really take into account those factors and the different challenges as well that are associated with living and, and working and accessing food in those particular regions. So that's why we don't have a one size fits all approach. We we are looking to uncover the situation in these different regions and then working together to action plan what needs to happen to strengthen the work that's happening within those different regions that's phenomenal and so you'll be doing that
0: same process of identifying the initiatives that are in those regions mapping them against the framework the wicked labs framework and then they go through the action planning stage
1: and all the other stuff you've
0: talked about
1: that's right yes and but we we will be consulting widely to find out will this process work in these different regions? What do we need to change or tweak that would make it relevant for the specific region? Who do we need to work with? And so we want to make sure that we're not just assuming the one model for for everything. Obviously, we've got a, a, a general approach that we use, but we'll be tweaking as we need to, to suit the local context. That work in particular will be over the next three years to to map and work an action plan with the initiatives there, and then what we're aiming to do from there, and similarly with the southwest too, we're looking to move towards a, a food governance approach, similarly probably to food policy councils. So we'll be doing some consulting work, extensive consultations, and advocacy work around food policy councils if that's the right model for the different regions because once we've got all this information about who's doing what who's working with whom we're trying to strengthen their work it's like well where to from here how do we focus this this action and food policy councils could be an ideal model because they are linked they've got the community links with local government and then have specific focused work plans for example work plans that relate to each of the pillars of food security. So it might be food availability work plan, a food access work plan, a food utilisation work plan, and then looking to support stability across all of those different pillars. And so that can really help to drive focused action and and activities on the ground that relate to each of those pillars. And so all this mapping work is going to be really important to inform that work, to know what is happening in the food availability space, who's doing what, what are the gaps and what new projects are needed, because we know what's already happening and we know what vision people want to see. And when you talk about food policy councils, I haven't heard of that before. What is a food policy council and how does that work? So they can take a, a variety of different models, but essentially they could sit within a local government and then have links to community organisations or they could be a separate Entity that has links to local government and community organisations. It really depends on on the best model for the particular region and, and setting, but the the essence is that they have these focused work plans to really undertake work on the ground that relates to the the concepts and the themes. And importantly, they they link the government and community together. So again, it's both. Those sectors working together collaboratively to try to get this work
0: up on the agenda and happening. Do you think there's any plans to upscale it maybe to other parts of Australia, or have you considered that or talked with other people about potentially doing something along those lines?
1: I have had a few conversations, but. At this point in time, we're we're focusing on Western Australia, but certainly there's nothing to say that we can't scale it up to to other parts of Australia where relevant and and where there are similar issues and and interests for doing that. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see the findings of this new stage of the project, to see how the different regions in WA are similar and different to what we've found in the southwest. so it would be so fascinating to see how that would differ to other states and territories within australia too if anyone within regional or remote western australia is interested in getting involved or having a chat love to to talk further about what aspects might work what we might need to tweak or change and and how they might like to get involved too what have been some of your biggest learnings or your greatest
0: challenges along the way of either this project or in your career?
1: I think generally my biggest learnings over my career so far is that if you take risks and you try to be ambitious then that really does lead to the greatest learning opportunities and I've had some jobs where they've really pushed my skill set but they're the jobs that I've learnt the most from and some of them I've said yes to without really knowing exactly how I was going to get the job done. But I've worked that out along the way and, and, and talked to people along the ways and, and also not giving up, like if the idea has merit and if you know the idea has merit, it will succeed over time. You just need to find the right time and, and continue working on it. And you'll find the right pathway for it.
0: I've noticed that happen all the time where there'll be something in the background. You're like, oh, we just need to get this going. And then all of a sudden something happens and then project just it's launched. Like it's off the ground. You've got funding. People are engaged and you're like,
1: I don't know what just happened. That's right. But there's it just al- did. <laughs> yeah. And there's there's always new opportunities coming up or or new things that add to the mix of factors that determine whether something's successful or not. And so I think, yeah, it's trying to, but I think trying to line up everything so that that when the time does come, you've got a plan in place or you've got, you've, you've been working towards this bigger goal. And so little parts of that puzzle can come together at different times and build and then overall build a greater or a bigger idea or bigger project. And I think that's what I've learned over time, just keep that end goal in mind, but then work on small aspects of it along the way. And so eventually you can start to see it all unfold into that bigger picture of what you wanted. But looking at the challenges associated with the food community project, I have definitely found it's been quite difficult at times to translate The complex terminology that's used in the theory behind the approach and the jargon that's used, translating that into language that people understand and engage with. And that's something we're still working on over time with this project as well. And something else has been that system change isn't linear It's really complex and so I have found it quite hard at times to convey the value of the project with linear thinkers and I think it just takes time as well for them to come on board and start to see different things happening associated with the project and more explanation around what complex problems are and it's not just as simple as if you do this, then this will happen.
0: What have been some of the best moments in your career?
1: I think for me, the best moments have been just the simple ones. And so when I was working in remote communities in the desert, just cooking up a big feed for the community on an open fire, working with whole schools of children and and being there together with people, just coming together over food, I think it's just been some of the highlights, really looking around, thinking about the kinds of people that I'm able to work with was just such a highlight for me. And I've also been really lucky to do a lot of travel globally with my work. And so I've taught nutrition in China. I've done research in Canada. I've worked on an organic farm in Spain and I've worked in Italy and lectured in Singapore and lots of different countries. And so yeah, that's that's also been fantastic because I do love to travel as well and, and I've been able to meet some really fantastic teams and, and understand how different teams work and the kinds of, Work that they're they're doing and and research and ways of working has just been something that's really unique and and I've I've taken so much away from from those trips. I love to, as everyone does, you want to see that your work is effective, and so some of the the initiatives I've worked on or, or started, I've been really happy to see that they're still functioning quite a long time after they've been created, and those things are also really great, because that's why we do what we do, isn't it? We want to see our work be effective and, and be meaningful to people.
0: Where do you see or where would you like to see the future of the public health nutrition field go?
1: We've got so many different things happening at the moment. You know, we've got the the war, which is impacting the cost of food and fuel and fertilisers. And we've had COVID that's impacted food availability. And before that, and during COVID, natural disasters, wiping out crops. So so all these things together are making it so hard for Australians to afford food and good quality nutritious food and and especially in communities that we've worked in, you know, the regional and remote communities. So it's so difficult for people and I do always have people who live in regional remote areas in the forefront of my mind and and so we really need a radical shift I think in in how our food is grown, distributed but also consumed. And so... We really do need to see decentralised food systems, I think, because all of those issues like natural disasters and COVID and, and everything has has really shown that it's it's highlighted the vulnerabilities of the current way of working, and that we have had these problems for a long time, but they've been illuminated by. the the last few years and so we really need to have this proliferation of more local food systems because that's going to help a more resilient way of getting food to people in the local area it's it can help with making it more affordable as well and and fresher and and more equitable for people in those areas that are most impacted we do need that sort of more right to food approach as well I think to make sure that everyone can access good food but underneath all of that, in saying all of that, we we do need to address the structural causes of food insecurity. And so in research, we've seen that income and, and finances has been so closely linked with food insecurity for so long. And so we need to make sure that everyone's got enough money. And really coordinating that through an actual national nutrition and and food security policy would be something that I would like to see as well, to coordinate different actions at the local level, to make sure that we've got these great local food systems, we've got the equitable opportunities for everyone to be able to access food, and then that a more equal playing field in terms of having enough money to buy good quality food too. And these aren't new, these aren't new concepts. These are things that have been said over and over and over. Definitely. And I would love
0: to see everything that you just mentioned um, come to fruition. What has been your favourite food experience?
1: I really love food and I love cooking and enjoying food with people. So, so my husband and I have done a lot of travel um, together and and one that has really stood out for me over time is when we're in Italy. So we were we love staying in really different places and one place we found was this abandoned Italian village and it had been reclaimed by the local village people after it'd been abandoned and there was this really incredible B&B there that they'd just started and we were pretty much the only people staying there in this village near the forest and they said to us, would you like to have a degustation for dinner? And we, of course, said Yes. And it was just the most incredible experience in just this stone village where there was no one else around. And we were sitting there on this table outside with a candle and they they just kept bringing this incredible food all night. And it was just so fresh and delicious and simple and lovely. And it was such a nice experience to enjoy that. In this place that was so beautiful as well, and then another one which was with some friends was in India, and again, in, you know, Indian food is so diverse and flavoursome and incredible, and lots of veggies, and and I was. Uh, traveling with some friends there and we were actually riding camels in a desert (laughs) and we were we were invited uh, to come and have a meal with a family that were living in this community in a desert and the lady of the house invited us into her kitchen which was a, a small cement room she had a fire uh, in the floor and she was kneading this bread and cooking this beautiful fresh bread uh, on the fire. And we sat down with the family and ate with our hands and had this beautiful meal of so many different dishes. But it was so nice to sit there and to see where they live and, and be part of that meal. And the, the third one that is a really important one for me, which I remember often is when I was working in a particular um, Aboriginal community and so I'd built a relationship with some women over several years and they'd invited me to their community and I was lucky to come out um, on country with them and they were showing me different uh, bush tucker that they would collect these seeds to grind down to make damper and some different fruits that they would um, use when they were you know walking for for quite some time and it gave them sustenance and it was really special to sit around a campfire and and learn about these different bush foods that were that were used by the community and just talk about them learn how they used them and it was just it was so lovely it was in the desert it was just such a special place and that's a, a really really valuable experience that I think about often.
0: And it sounds like through all those different food experiences, like such a privilege to be able to gain such like an intense insight into different people's ways of sharing their culture and, and what they value. And all three of them are just so heartwarming. It's so
1: lovely to hear. You're, you're right. The pe- people really is the common thread. It's, uh, it was the experience and, and, and working and, and living and learning about people and, and, like you say, their culture and their way of living was the, the most valuable part of it. So, yeah, people is a common thread. Thanks so
0: much, Steph, for coming on the show. It's been so wonderful listening to, the, to all of your experience working in this space and then also the Food Community Project and it's, it's so exciting to hear that it's going to be scaled up. Um, across all of WA, so very excited to see um, where that goes as well.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to see where it goes too. So it's going to be a really exciting next three years ahead, I think. So thanks for listening.
0: There'll be links to the Food Community website as well as Steph's research profile in the show notes where you can also get in contact with her and read further into all of her amazing research in this space. And remember, we're on Instagram or Twitter if you'd like to get in touch, ask us any questions or even suggest any foodies in the field that you'd like to hear from. And if you do get the chance, please share this podcast with people who you think may be interested and even those who may not be and leave a review to help us spread the word all about public health. Nutrition.